waiting for a couple in the back. I think we'll start. We welcome you all to the annual meeting of the Reformed Free Publishing Association. Your attendance tonight is evidence of your support for the work of the RFPA. The Reformed Free Publishing Association has been meeting annually since 1924, almost 90 almost 90 years of publishing distinctive, God-glorifying, reformed truth. Did everyone sign in as they came in? Did anyone miss signing their registration sheet as they came into the auditorium? If anyone's missing or missed signing that, let us know and we'll get you a sheet. Okay, looks like we're good there. We'll begin tonight by singing a Psalter number. I'd like to sing Psalter number 322. for playing for us on about five minutes worth of notice. I apologize to him for my forgetting to call him. Psalter 322, I'd like to sing all the verses.
connection with the subject of our speech tonight, I'd like to read 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy 4, we'll read the entire chapter. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' tales, fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come unto thee tonight and praise thee for all thy wondrous works in this day. We have seen thy power and glory in the creation round us. We thank thee that thou hast upheld and provided for all thy creatures. Thank thee for the health 
and strength we have received today to go about our work and duties. We thank Thee for the labors that Thou hast set before us each day. And we pray for Thy blessing as we seek to perform the duties of our station and calling. Above all, we, above all our earthly blessings, we thank and praise Thee for calling us out of darkness into Thy marvelous light. We are humbled, knowing our salvation is all of Thy good pleasure and gracious mercy. We thank Thee, Father, for the covenant fellowship that we enjoy with Thee and with one another. We thank Thee for the place we enjoy in Thy church and kingdom and for Thy truth revealed to us. We pray for faithfulness to Thy truth as we live in an age of apostasy and indifference. Tonight, we gather together to carry out a part of our calling to confess that truth. We are thankful for the work of the Reformed Free Publishing Association. We know that this is thy work, the work begun by thee some 90 years ago. We labor in weakness and sin. And we pray for thy spirit and wisdom as we continue this labor. We thank thee for providing for us in the past year. We thank thee for the faithful labors of our editors, our authors, our board members, the business managers, our staff, and all those that assist in the work of publishing. We pray for thy continued blessing upon our work in the coming year and in years to come. May we proclaim thy truth unashamedly. Bless our gathering tonight. Bless our speaker, Reverend Heisinger. May his words of encouragement spur us on to a greater zeal and a desire to impart thy truth to our covenant seed. We pray, work in the hearts of our covenant young people a desire to know that truth also. Pray for thy blessing upon our business meeting tonight. May all be done in good order and to the glory of thy name. We pray keep sin far from us in this night. And forgive the sins of this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our speaker tonight is Reverend Brian Heisinger. Reverend Heisinger was ordained as a minister in the Protestant Reformed Churches in September of 2011. Reverend Heisinger is serving as the minister of the Redlands Protestant Reformed Church. He will speak on the subject, Encouraging the Next Generation to Read.
I thank the board of the RFPA for the invitation to speak this evening and for the will and providence of God which made it possible. Greetings to all of you in the name of the risen Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, and greetings on behalf of the Congregation of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. Picture now a banqueting table, not round, but rectangular and long in shape, something like the one you might see at a wedding reception where the wedding party is seated. There are five positions at this table. That means there are five chairs and five sets of table settings. Seated in position number five at one end of the table is a man who has before him an empty plate. Next to him in position number four is a man who has before him a plate on which there is to be found a good hearty meal. Next to him in position number three is a man seated at the table who has before him a plate on which sets a good hearty meal. And this man takes a fork and selects one good choice bite and brings it very close to his mouth and even licks it. Next to him in position number two is a man seated at the table who has before him a plate on which sits a good hearty meal. He takes his fork and selects a good choice piece of meat and brings it to his mouth and puts it in his mouth and chews. And at the other end of the table in position number one is a man now sitting there at the table who has food on his plate. He selects a choice bite and brings it to his mouth, not only tastes and chews it, but he swallows it. And then he continues until the entire meal is finished. If we were to name the gentleman seated at this banqueting table, we would have in position number five, the empty plater. In position number four, the full plater. In position number three, the taster. In position number two, the chewer. And in position number one, the devourer. Hear the word of God in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Thy words were found, says the prophet Jeremiah. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I gave you the picture and now the reality. The good hearty meal represents solid, sound, spiritually edifying literature. Each man seated at the table represents and is now the reader. We have in position number five the empty plater. This is the man who owns no such books. Next to him in position number four is the man who owns books. Walk into his house. You will see them on the shelves. But he does not read his books. Next to him in position number three is the taster. This is the man who has books. He's even a member of the RFPA book club and gets an annual title or two as they are released. And he holds the books in his hands. As they come, he reads the back cover, may even open up the front cover and look at the table of contents. He knows the title. has a very general idea of what the content of the book 
state so that if some people after church were talking about the book, he knows what the book is, but he's never read it. He tasted it, merely. Next to him in position number two is the chewer. This is the man who has a good number of books, and he's opened those books, and even, well, he's read through them, although shortly after reading them, he would not be able to tell you what he read because he, he skimmed, and he was not reading with understanding. He could contribute to a degree to a discussion on the book, but not too much, but he's been through the whole book. In position number one is the devourer. This man has books. To use the language of the prophet, he eats them. That is, he devours them. Now, anyone who sat at a table knows one can devour a meal at different rates of speed. There is that person who takes forever to eat, but they eat the whole meal. And there's the other one who's almost finished eating before the cook has taken her seat at the table. Maybe a bit rude. He eats quickly. The devourer has many, many books and he reads the books at his own pace and speed, but he devours them. And this is the key. They have an impact upon his life. They influence him. They are the joy and rejoicing of his heart. As the prophet says, he devours books, articles, magazines. Where do you sit at the table? Where do your children sit at the table? And now this question, where will the next generation be seated at this table? It is the concern of the board of the RFPA that there is a general movement from position number one down towards position number five. I don't think anyone would say that the new generation among us is seated at position number five. And I don't I don't believe that for a moment. There may be some individuals who are sitting at that far end of the table, but not the generation as a whole. Nevertheless, there's there's evidence is that there's movement in that direction. And that's alarming. One of the concrete evidences for such a position would be the fact that the RFPA has demonstrated that at present only 64% of Protestant Reformed households subscribe to the standard bearer. Now, if you flip that stat around, that means only that means there are 36% of households who don't even subscribe to the unofficial publication of the Protestant Reformed churches since their origin. That's one third. One third. That's alarming. And then of the 64%, these are rough statistics, of course, of the 64%, how many of those households include people that actually read or read all the way through the standard bearer? So there's some concern. And I myself wonder how many consistories present to those who make Confession of Faith a book at Confession of Faith. Probably a good number of them. I don't know that for sure. But then I wonder if I were to travel to all the Protestant Reformed churches and take a poll of all those who have made confession of faith in the last 15 years and received a book at their confession of faith, how many have read through that book? I don't know. But it might be alarming. Where will the new generation be seated at the table? 
That's the question. And this gives rise to the speech tonight and to the subject before us. Let us encourage the new generation to read. And may it be to them the joy and rejoicing of their heart as it was for the prophet. By way of introduction yet, a couple of points. Number one, when we speak of reading this evening and books, the scope is limited. We are not referring this evening to all forms of literature and genres, but to solid spiritually edifying literature. That would, of course, include the Bible and the confessions and then arising out of the Bible, all of those books and magazines, all of that literature that is an explanation of concepts found in the Bible that arises out of the Bible and and describes and explains the life and the practice and the doctrine set forth in the Scriptures. And not even from merely Protestant Reformed authors, even authors with whom you may disagree on various points. This would include devotionals, meditations, all the church history works, including biographies and autobiographies, commentaries, theological treatises or dogmatics, books on the Christian life, whether that be dating and marriage or family worship or enduring suffering for the glory of God or financial stewardship in the covenant. Helps for Bible study. Books that address contemporary issues in the church today regarding worship or doctrine. And of course, it would include the publications of the RFPA and the Standard Bearer, but also the Beacon Lights, the Salt Shakers coming out of Singapore, the perspectives on covenant education. You understand the scope of the reading to which we refer this evening. In the second place, I refer to the people of God reading this evening and refer to those people organically and not to individuals head for head, for I recognize that there are those who by the will of God have mental disabilities and severe conditions which do not allow them to read. I refer to the people of God organically. In the third place, though I speak of books and will through the speech, I recognize many read on various devices, tablets, and may read The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink, not in a dusty old paperback, but in a, a shiny black tablet. And the speech tonight is not about books versus tablets. I recognize some people read using those means. And now finally, in the future, and the near future, someone, whether that be a teacher, and probably it would be a teacher, and at an event or a gathering broader than the annual teacher's convention, someone in the near future must address us or must write on the subject of the place of reading in education. That's not the scope of this speech tonight. The place of reading in education. If what I have been told recently is true, there are alarming and radical developments in the philosophy of education so that educators, future educators and teachers are being taught today that children and young people only need to know one thing.
the lecture method has been proven ineffective. Having children read books has been proven ineffective. They don't retain much of what they read anyways. Children don't need to know who the first president of the United States was or whether the earth rotates around the sun or the sun around the earth. They don't need to know those things. They need to know one thing. And that's how to find the answer. They will all be equipped with the powerful tools, even in their own pocket. They don't need to know anything except this, to discover on their own and find the answer to any question that may confront them. This has profound implications for catechism instruction, for the preaching of the gospel, and for life in the church in general. And as one man astutely observed and mentioned to me not so long ago, this is paving the way for the rise of the Antichrist who will appear and all of these ignorant people throughout the world and he will say, this is truth and this you must know. And the men and women and children not knowing any different will follow him because they don't know. What is the place of reading in education That's not the subject of the speech tonight, though it would be a timely subject. Encouraging the next generation to read. Let's consider that as our subject this evening. First of all, reading has a significant place in the covenant of God as an instrument of God for the fulfilling of His purposes. What is the necessity? What is even the urgency for encouraging the next generation to read? This. Reading has a significant place in God's covenant. How is that so? We will see that in a moment. But first, let us prove the significant place that reading has in God's covenant. First of all, Exodus 24, verse 7, and all similar passages. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Throughout Israel's entire history as a constituted nation from Mount Sinai and thereafter, they had the book of the covenant, the book of the law, wherein God revealed his laws for Israel and his promises to them. And Moses would read the book of the covenant. And thereafter, the leaders would read that book to the people of Israel. Apostasy in Israel was always characterized by the neglect of the reading of the book of the covenant. One of the greatest reformations that has ever occurred in the church took place under the leadership of the good king Josiah. After the book of the covenant had been found again, it had been lost, it was now read. And we read in 2 Kings 23, verse 2, And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all of the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small, they had little children there, of course they did, the children came, both small and great, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. God used that reading to reveal Himself to Israel. And wherever that reading was present, 
Good things were taking place in the nation, but when they neglected the reading of the book of the covenant, invariably apostasy occurred. That Old Testament phenomenon indicates the significant place that reading has in God's covenant. Secondly, 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, which was read, Till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. To the young pastor Timothy and all pastors comes the command, read, give attendance to reading. Read publicly in the worship service of the church, but not only there, read privately for your own growth in doctrine and the development of your ability to exhort. Read. But does the command of the apostle come only to pastors? Or does the command of 1 Timothy 4, verse 13 come primarily and principally to pastors like the young Timothy, but then to all of God's people, for all must know doctrine? Indeed, to ask the question is to answer it. God says to all of us, give attendance to reading. And that for the sake of doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, give attendance to reading. Reading has a significant place in God's covenant. 2 Timothy 4, verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, especially the parchments. When an older, experienced minister is sitting there in prison, having received the decree that he shall perish and now awaiting when the Roman soldiers will come and lead him out of his jail cell to the execution block. He calls young Timothy to hasten over to Rome and with him bring the books. Bring me the books. The good books and the parchment so that I might read and find comfort and peace for my soul. But that's not the desire only of older, experienced, imprisoned ministers That's the cry of all of God's people in the covenant. Bring me books. Bring me the books so that I can read to my comfort and edification. Reading has a significant place in God's covenant. In the fourth place, Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Blessed is he that readeth this book of Revelation and that in the public worship service of the church. Blessed is he that readeth this book of Revelation privately on his own. But the book of Revelation is a part of the one unified whole which is the Scriptures. Blessed is he that readeth the Scriptures publicly. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words, who readeth the words of the Scriptures privately. And then by lawful extension, blessed is that man that readeth the book of Revelation and also a faithful exposition of the book of Revelation. For example, behold, he cometh by Reverend Hooksma as the work of the Spirit of truth to guide the church in their understanding of the truth. Blessed is he that readeth. Privileged, happy is he. And that poor soul who doesn't read, 
What shall we say of him? The Bible says of the man who reads, Blessed is that man. These aforementioned passages, however, are all secondary. The primary proof that reading has a significant place in God's covenant is the fact that God's revelation to us is the Bible. In his inscrutable wisdom, God eternally determined that as the covenant God, through Jesus Christ, He would reveal Himself to His people in written form, which must be read. Now, you and I might not be able to conceive of other ways in which God could have revealed Himself, but He could have. And yet, He chose to reveal Himself through a written word, which must be read. That the revelation of God comes to us through Jesus Christ in a book with words that are written and must be read is the proof that reading has and must have a significant place in God's covenant. The necessity and urgency of reading in the covenant is indisputable. To deny the significance of reading in the covenant is to deny the Scriptures as such. The church that lets reading vanish from her midst works her own peril and destruction and that at the hands of the devil. This is the incontrovertible proof that reading must have, indeed it does have, a significant place in God's covenant. And because this is God's revelation to us, we may say it does not matter how technology develops in this world until the return of Jesus Christ, reading may not, cannot, must never be allowed to disappear. Reading has a significant place in God's covenant. Why is that so? Well, that's because God has ordained reading as an instrument He is pleased to use for the fulfilling of His promises. You know, the covenant of grace. God's relationship of friendship with us and our children in the Lord Jesus Christ and through His mediatorial work. It's that fellowship and friendship God has with us. But in that relationship of love, God gives promises always brings promises to us through the preaching of the Gospel and out of His Word. Promises, I will be your God now and forever and the God of your children and save you and your children. All of these promises. And God is pleased to use means though He unconditionally and sovereignly fulfills every single one of His promises that He gives to His elect people. He's pleased to use means for the fulfillment of those promises. Chief of them is the preaching of of the Scriptures, out of which comes the Gospel. Preaching, but also reading. And as we read, and read good literature, we grow in our knowledge of God, and in our love for Him, and we cling to Him by faith, and we hope in Him. And in these ways, we and our children receive the fulfillment of God's promises to us to be our God now and forever, through reading as we come to know Him. What newly married bride would not long 
for those writings of her husband as they come across the ocean while he is over yonder in the battlefield. She wants the letters so she can know him. This is God's revelation to us. And he gives us all this literature to know him in the fulfillment of his promises. That, first of all, this evening, what is the necessity and urgency for encouraging the next generation to read? Well, reading has a significant place in God's covenant as an instrument he uses for the fulfilling of his promises. And now in the second place, the necessity and urgency of encouraging the next generation to read is the fact that the modern world is not conducive to and even indirectly discourages the deep thinking that reading requires. This is a world now where information increasingly gets communicated through bright images, stimulating real-life pictures and action-packed videos. And if there is a message communicated through words, even the very words themselves are truncated and abbreviated so that the human mind spends a minimal amount of time with words. And then the human mind becomes like a little hummingbird. It's always flitting about from one thing to the next, but not zeroing in on and focusing on words. And when information gets communicated this way, it makes the human mind passive and passive. Not active, but passive. Less discipline, less effort are required. Little, if any, critical thinking and careful contemplation and reflection and meditation is practiced. There's no reason for us to reject technology. Of course not. Look at all of the benefits of technology. And our schools use them. Technology is wonderful. The modern world, though, is not developing the smart man by its own admission. The modern world is developing the smartphone. But now what about man with his mind? Let me use an illustration. We have the GPS, a a marvel of modern technology, and probably most of you use a GPS and are thankful for the GPS. There was a day not so long ago when the family would plan a vacation from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Yellowstone National Park and leading up to the family vacation where the travel trailer would be hooked up to the truck, the family would head out west, the father would clear off the dining table and haul out his Randy McNally road map, lay it out there on the table with a piece of legal-sized paper, a pencil, and a ruler, and he'd look at the bottom corner of the map where it said one inch equals 75 miles, and there he would sit. And he'd map out the journey He would carefully calculate for himself which route to take, where they will arrive after one night, and lay it all out. He'd have it envisioned in his mind. He did all the work. It's possible today, if he so desires, the man can awake the very morning of departure, grab his device, set as destination, the campground in Yellowstone National Park, hit go, and it says proceed 100 feet and turn right. Proceed on Highway 1 for 55 miles and merge onto Highway 2. And who's doing the thinking? 
and though the GPS is terrific, is it producing among us a generation of people navigationally brain dead? And that's only one example. Technology is good, but what is it doing to the human mind? Now, there's the modern world. Let's look at what is required to read. Active participation. The moment your mind becomes inactive while reading, you lose it. You lose everything. You can be reading page 67 of the book all the way to the end, and you're on page 68, and all of a sudden you realize, though you read the whole page, you don't know what it said because you weren't reading. Your mind became passive. We've all done that. Reading requires active participation. It takes discipline and effort, careful contemplation and meditation and reflection to absorb and let it all sink in. And sometimes you have to go back and read the same sentence over again because it was a complex sentence with multiple concepts. And what does each concept mean? And how do they relate to the other concepts in the sentence? And what about the preceding and the following context? It takes multiple times through the same sentence to gather the meaning. Reading requires deep, deep thinking. Well, that ought not surprise anyone because the Scriptures very plainly teach that the whole of the Christian life requires deep thinking, not just reading. For example, Romans 12, verse 2 says, "...and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed." Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed." By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Here you have this mind. And it's not like the cottage up north on the lake where maybe every 50 years it needs to be renovated and updated and renewed every single day. The the mind needs renewing and renovation lest it decay and corrode every day. Renew your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need activity and diligence. A sharp mind. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, and so on. Gird up the loins of your mind. And there's the man in Israel with his long robe, and he has to go quickly now and, and pull up the bottom of your robe and tuck it in your girdle lest it get caught in your sandals and in your legs. It's time to go gird up your loins. And now the Apostle Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. We've got to be sharp and active and diligent with our mind. Gird it up. The whole Bible teaches and emphasizes the the mind and renewing the mind and girding up the loins of our mind that we have a sharp mind. And now here's the situation we're in. We live in a world that is not conducive to and even indirectly discourages the deep thinking that reading requires. The exercise of the mind Thus, the point is now, it is necessary, it is urgent that we encourage the next generation to read. It is always important. Today, it is especially important. So, what shall we do? There's a lot that could be said tonight. I limit myself to ten ways. Ten ways we can encourage the next generation to read. And as we go down the line, they're going, the, the ways will become increasingly briefer in explanation. 
And they all have as their key word, a word that starts with the letter P, to help us. Ten ways to encourage the next generation to read. What shall we do? Number one, support the preaching. And that's deliberately first. Support the preaching. Pray for the seminary and support the seminary. And pray for the minister of the gospel who must mount the pulpit. Support the preaching of the gospel. And see to it that young people and children attend the preaching of the gospel. And I say that not because God by His grace has put me here as a preacher. I would say that as a cobbler. Because I'm a reformed man and you're all reformed. And the Scripture speaks to us. And God says infallibly in Romans 1 verse 16 that the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. And that salvation is not to be conceived of so narrowly, but broadly all of salvation. The preaching is the power of God unto salvation because the Holy Spirit takes that Word of Jesus Christ and He plunges it deeply into the hearts of the elect people of God who come under that preaching and that transforms their hearts and renews their mind and gives them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and a desire to grow in knowledge and to be faithful according to the Scriptures. The preaching does. It's God's power. God-glorifying, cross-magnifying, life-giving, spirit-energized, biblically faithful preaching is the power of God unto salvation. That's the means God uses to lay a hold of the hearts of young people. And He does. As the Gospel goes forth and expounds a text that sets forth beautifully the doctrine of the covenant and the significance of the covenant. God's faithfulness in His covenant. There's an 18-year-old young man in the audience who goes home and he pulls that book off the shelf that records for him the controversies we've had in our own history over the doctrine of the covenant. And he's moved to read the covenant. The preaching of the gospel sets forth the glory of Jesus Christ crucified. And God uses that and takes that word and plunges it deeply into the heart of a 16-year-old girl. And she goes home and there's that book of meditation sitting by her bedside. She hasn't touched it for two months. And yet the preaching laid a hold of her heart and she opens up that book now with a thirst to learn of her Savior. The power of God. When one in the preaching cries unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. God uses that work to work in the hearts of a young person to say, Show me more of my God. Give me a book. The best way to encourage the new generation to read is to support the preaching of the gospel. The power of God unto salvation. Number two, plant seeds. Plant seeds. This refers to the activity of all parents, family members, teachers, office bearers, all those who have an influence upon the lives of young people. Let the whole environment in which we live be characterized by attitudes and behaviors and words that 
are as so many seeds that God will use to plant something into the hearts of the young people. The heart of a young person is the field. And the plants that sprout forth out of the heart are the activities of reading. And here shoots out a plant. And the young person's reading a book, a good book. And here shoots out another plant. And that's the reading of a good book. The plant shooting forth are the reading of good books. The heart is the field. And the seed is, of course, chiefly the preaching of the gospel. But also the seed includes the attitudes and behaviors and words of those who have an influence upon young people to work in their hearts a desire to read. God uses that. If we, have a, we who have an influence in the lives of young people don't read. We don't read. Or we do not read good books. Or we do not even get the standard bearer. Or RFPA publications is a bare minimum. Or if we dismiss them. If we don't love the truth and express our profound gratitude for what God has given to us as Protestant Reformed churches, if we don't convey that, if we don't go to Bible study, or if we do go to Bible study but talk badly about it, if we spend more time fidgeting with our gadgets and socializing online than we do have than we do in having conversations with our own children, if we're not open to and receptive to our children, even our young people, and have serious conversations with them, if we don't have time for family devotions, that includes reading and discussion and singing, we take time with our children. If we don't do these things, then as it were, we're walking around with, with a big tank of plant-killing toxics and we're, we're spraying and hosing down the, the fields of their hearts. And it will take something just short of a miracle for a young person to, to read a good book and even the Scriptures. But when we as parents, and we do, God be thanked, when we as parents are faithful and teachers and ministers and, and unmarried men and women, all those who have an influence upon the lives of young people when we plant seeds, Day after day when we plant seeds, when we love the truth. And the young people can see that. It's not a mystery. We love God's truth. We communicate that. And when we read, and they see us reading, and if they don't see us reading, they know there's books there. And there's magazines. They have highlighter marks all through them. My parents read. I know that. And when we're bringing books into the home and encouraging and promoting the reading, when we read to our little children, and even as they get a little older, keep reading to them and read to them. When we're on the car for a long journey and the whole family's there and grown children, and now there's an hour and a half and a road trip and the father starts talking about this godly young woman who lived in the years of the Great Depression. He just read a book, an autobiography, and now he's talking about it with the children while they're in the vehicle. Or the school teacher takes just a couple of minutes before the class formally begins and tells the students about some piece of literature she was just reading about one of the great fathers of the offskiting and the sacrifices that were made just for a couple of minutes, planting seeds, plant seeds through attitudes, words, 
behaviors all throughout the course of the day, God will use that to work in the hearts of young people so that outcomes the activity of reading. Plant seeds. Number three, encourage preparation for future service. Preparation. I've never heard a man in the church say, I regret my behavior of youth. I wasted too much time reading good, reformed literature. Never heard it. I'm not even old. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard men, elders, say, I regret my youth. I wasted too much time and was not reading in a way that would make me a more serviceable workman in God's kingdom. Lay that upon the hearts of the young women who have a role in God's church and take a young man aside and say, you may become a deacon someday as I know you have done. An elder, a minister, a school board member, an evangelism committee member, RFPA member, all the other committees, a a place of leadership in God's church and you don't read, young man. Read. Be prepared for service in God's church. Let's encourage Preparation for future service. We'll never have the knowledge we wish we had, but let us not unnecessarily hurt ourselves and our covenant youth by not laying it upon their heart that they prepare for future service. Preparation. Fourth, and now I become more practical and hands-on, as it were. Fourth, encourage partnering. How many people do you know that are able to run, run, exercise three times a week all by themselves? Perhaps a good number. Some are. They're very disciplined and dedicated. But there's a good number of runners who need a running partner. Someone to hold them accountable. Someone to encourage them and spur them on. Someone with whom they can talk about their running. Runners have a partner and they run, run, run. How do you get young people to read, read, read? It may be we need to encourage Partnering. You need to find a partner. It could be a parent, a sibling, spouses, a husband and wife, a friend, a group of friends, a group of couples. It could be the coworker with whom you spend 45 minutes every day at lunch break and what shall you say to one another? A coworker. Find a partner and decide upon a book and read it in your own time. Young people, find a partner. Read a book and then come together and discuss it. A chapter at a time, a book at a time. The dynamics can be changed. You golf together, you shop together as young women. Cannot you find a reading buddy? Read and come together with your friend and discuss it for a bit. Partnering. Encourage partnering. Fifth and closely related Encourage peer paraphrasing. Peer paraphrasing. So the young person has just made it through a great book or a magazine and now there it sits and it's, it's gone 
and what's the connection to that book yet, will encourage paraphrasing, whereby you take a couple of minutes or a couple of sentences and express what you just read. Summarize it. Paraphrase it. Give me a, a brief summary. Now, paraphrase to appear to someone else. That might kindle in them a desire to take this book or magazine up and read it, but it's also going to require careful thinking and, and, and reading as you go through the book and gathering one's thoughts and making them sharp. And then when he lays down the book, he still has a connection to the book. So paraphrase to peers. That might be family members, one's own siblings in the home, husband and wife with grown children every Wednesday night after dinner. Or once a month, every once a month on a Wednesday in the month, or every Sunday afternoon or Saturday night when things are quieting down. Peer paraphrasing. Now we have grown children in the family. Each one, take a couple of minutes and you tell us all what you've just read. That magazine, that book. Just paraphrase it a couple of minutes. Peer paraphrasing. And there will be mutual benefits and the enriching of the experience of all. Peer paraphrasing. Six, encourage portioning. Look at that big book sitting there. It was written by a professor of theology. It was written by Abraham Kuyper. It has 300 pages. I can't read it. It's too daunting. But just a moment. You don't have to read the whole book at once. It has chapters. And in the chapters there are headings. Take a heading. Take a chapter. Portion it up. Just like the man who sits in seat one at the table. He's got a whole meal in front of him, but he doesn't eat it all in one bite. Bite after bite after bite. Portions. Portions. There it is, sitting on the shelf. It was given to me at my confession of faith. For thy truth's sake. It's this thick. Portions. Portions. You can read that. Portions. Number seven, encourage perseverance. A young man or young woman is reading a good book or a magazine, but over the course of a few weeks, she or he begins to weary and gives up. And how many people have done that? We've all done that. We've read a book and we've given up and there there it sits now. We've abandoned it. How much would it help, though, if one person came along and said, way to go, you're reading that book? That's terrific. You're going to benefit greatly. Keep reading. Just like the runner who's, who's running a 5K, he's got a half a mile to go, or he's running a 25K about three miles to go. He's way, way out there in the distance, and there's no one out there. It's silent. But there's that one man along the path. And here comes the runner. He's weary. He's ready to give up. And there's the man along the path. Way to go! Keep running. You're looking great. You're close to the finish. And that's all it took. And he goes all the way to the finish line. It's so simple. How many times have we overlooked an opportunity where there's a young person reading some good literature and all we have to say is, that's terrific. That's excellent. Keep reading. You're doing great. That's a great book. You're going to benefit. Encourage perseverance. A couple of words might make all the difference. Number eight, promote literature. Promote literature. The RFPA and, for example, the the staff of the Beacon Lights in the last few years have been doing a terrific job of promoting literature. 
new designs and little cards and getting the information out to the people, promoting the literature. But then that's not enough. We need to promote it as well. Do everything we can. Reading and literature. Parents, catechism teachers, elders on family visitation, school teachers, leaders of young people's societies, the chaperone at the Young People's Convention, 400 young people right there for one week. Promote literature in your cabin. Talk about reading. Promote, promote, promote. Number nine. Support preaching. Number one. Plant seeds. Number two. Encourage preparation for future service. Three. Number four. Encourage partnering. Five, encourage peer paraphrasing. Six, encourage portioning. Seven, encourage perseverance. Eight, promote literature and reading. Nine, encourage pen and pencil. Now I realize in many places the book is giving way to the tablet and I don't know if you can highlight things in a tablet, but you have a book. As long as your own, get a pen and pencil and write in it. Underline, exclamation mark, see page 47, star, asterisk, write notes. Interact with your book, your magazine, young man, young woman. It's yours. If it is, pen and pencil. But now last, emphasize the parental mandate. The parental mandate is not you ought to read or I strongly encourage you to do some reading. The parental mandate is you shall read. I am your father. I have been given authority by God. This is my house. You son, you daughter, shall read. Why wouldn't we? The two-year-old is not so excited about sitting through another hour and a half worship service on Sunday, but you shall come to church. And over the course of time, they begin to see the wisdom of their parents and they enjoy going to church. And to the young people, it said, you shall be home at whatever time, 11 p.m., and though they may object, they grow up and say, that was wisdom in my parents, that curfew. And a young woman wants to go out and come to church in that little skirt. And father says, you can't go to church wearing that. And it's an argument now. But shortly thereafter, she realizes that was foolish. She sees the wisdom of it. You shall read. Now, don't hand a book to the young person. You come with both hands full, one hand a book saying, you shall read. And the other hand is, is a whip of one of Pharaoh's servants. You shall read. Not that must. Come with a book and you have your own book. And I read too. And here's a book, a magazine. You shall read and present that with the attitude and in the environment of love and in the spirit of love. Read, my son. You must read. But dad, you don't know how busy I am. I can't even read all of the books I have to read for college. I don't have time to read. Well, you know that's not true because you were all there one day as I was too. That's not true. Just like it's not true when the dentist says, it doesn't appear that you've been flossing every day and the patient says, I don't have time to floss every day. 
And the dentist doesn't even take the time to say, you don't have time to run a piece of string through your teeth for 60 seconds a day. You can do that while watching your television. You have time to read. It's a matter of the will. You have to make time. And I'm your father and I love you. And now let's start prioritizing. You've got to turn that thing off, put it away, get unplugged, put it way over there. Now we're going to read. Sunday afternoon. What are you going to do Sunday afternoon? Here's this literature. You shall read the parental mandate. There we have it. People of God, ten ways to encourage the next generation to read. And let us press on now for the glory of Almighty God in whose covenant we are by His grace through Jesus Christ and for the good of His covenant and the cause of the covenant in the world, lest a generation arise among us not knowing the Lord nor the works that He has done for Israel. Let us lay this upon the hearts of the young people. Read and go forth encouraging them to read. And now where do you sit at the table? Where do the young people sit at the table? Where will we sit at the table? This is not a parable. And Jesus will not chide you for pressing toward the highest seat at the wedding table as He did the Pharisees. This is no parable. Take the seat. Position number one. Devour good books. And let it be the joy and rejoicing of your heart. And may God bring the children to follow you to seat number one. Thank you for your attention and for gathering here this evening. Thank you, Reverend Heisinger, for your stirring and urgent reminder of the necessity to read. May God give us the grace to take up that important practice for ourselves as we encourage the next generation to do that with us. We've done everything we can to keep this as short as possible. We have a few items of business that we will work through here. The board recently removed two names from the association member list. They were Mr. Claire Kuyper and Mr. Fred Heisinger, who recently passed away. We have Requests for membership from 14 men. I'd like to read those names and then I would like to get a motion to accept them as members. Those 
14 names are Mr. Eugene Camps, Mr. Dan Kuyper, Mr. Nate Godbile, Mr. Matt Engelsma, Mr. Steve Heisinger, Mr. Nick Engelsma, Mr. Dustin Hall, Mr. Jonathan Langerak, Jr., Mr. Ryan Kriegel, Mr. Joe Holsteg, Mr. Dan Skipper, Reverend Carl Hark, Mr. Zach Kuyper, and Mr. Nate DeVries. We have a motion to accept these men as members of the RFPA. Any discussion? All in favor of approving these 14 men as members of the RFPA Association say aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. We had uh, advertised the eight board nominations uh, in the packet that went out to current members. I'll read those again. Those that accepted board nominations for this year were Eric Blimberg, Andy Bilesma, Terry Dykstra, Vern Haberman, Jim Holsteg, George Camps, Mark Van Dyke, and Eric Van Dyke. You all voted as you came in to the auditorium, so there's no need to vote here, but I would like to ask the following men to count the ballots. From the board, Matt Van Overloop. From the association, Joel Minderhoud and Jason Engelsma. If those three men could count the ballots, I think Joel, where's the ballots? They're back there, okay? There was a total of 84 members present and 14 new members. Any absentee ballots? I guess not. Thanks for the reminder, Joel. All right, while they're counting the ballots, we will continue with the rest of the agenda. Keep this moving. Um, we'd like to... Uh, Make sure that everyone that was on the mailing list received the minutes of the association meeting from last year. We're not going to read those minutes. If there's no questions or corrections to those minutes, then we'll receive those for information. Were there any corrections to those minutes that anyone would want to make? Okay, we'll receive those. Let's proceed to... The annual secretary's report, Mr. Cal Calsby, if you could make that for us. Reform Free Publishing Association, 2013 annual secretary's report. The tears of a slave girl just going to be put up for sale drew the attention of a gentleman 
as he passed through the auction mart of a southern slave state. The other slaves of the same group, standing in line for sale like herself, did not seem to care about it, while each knock of the hammer made her shake. The kind man stopped to ask why she alone wept, and was told that the others were used to such things and might be glad of a change from the harsh, hard homes they came from, but that she had been brought up with much care by a good owner, and she was terrified to think who might buy her. Her price, the stranger asked. He thought a little when he heard the great ransom, but after a little paid it down. Yet, no joy came to the poor slave's face when he told her that she was free. She had been born a slave and knew not what freedom meant. Her tears fell thick and fast on the signed parchment which her deliverer brought to prove it to her. But she only looked at him with fear. At last, he was ready to go his way. And as he told her what she must do when he was gone, it began to dawn on her what freedom was. With the first breath, she said, I will follow him. I will serve him all my days. And to every reason against it, she only cried, He redeemed me. He redeemed me. He redeemed me. When strangers used to visit that master's house and notice, as all did, the loving, constant service of the glad-hearted girl, and asked her why she was so eager with unbidden service by night and day. She had but one answer, and she loved to give it. He redeemed me. He redeemed me. He redeemed me. That message of redemption pulling free from the pen of D.J. Danhoff found in Volume 1 of the Standard Bearer is a message that serves as motivation to carry on as the Standard Bearer is about to enter its 90th consecutive year of publication. But to what extent will that comforting message be read? The RFPA board has some serious concerns about that. Our subscription data does not lie. From a high of 2,596 subscribers in 2005 to 2,176 today is a decline of 420 subscribers. We realize, of course, that in general, print media has fallen on hard times. We tried to remedy that with our e-subscriptions. We currently have 86 of these but it appears that more will need to be done to turn this dismal subscription trend around. That explains, too, the subject for tonight's speech, encouraging the next generation to read. In this connection, maybe we should take to heart some good instruction from a new New York subscriber. Quote, I have only become confessionally reformed in the last four years. I am an ex-Pentecostal. Late last year, I was introduced to this great journal. I have found so much already. This is a reform journal that every reform believer should subscribe to. When I finish an edition, I now leave it in the narthex of my church for others to benefit from. Thank you 
for maintaining fidelity to God's word as summarized in the three forms of unity, end quote. Another subscriber, this one, an e-subscriber from Chicago, provides good reason for obtaining the SB in digital and print form. Quote, the standard bears a must-read for any individual interested in the truth of the gospel. I purchased the e-subscription to allow me to keep up with its content during convenient times, my lunch, during my commute, when I travel, without taking the magazine out of the reach of my family. For a first try, the RFPA did a phenomenal job of formatting it for access on my Kindle, end quote. The RFPA board will welcome other suggestions to remedy the decline in subscriptions, not merely because we desire more standard bearer subscriptions, but because the standard bearer's message of redemption, full and free, merits wide circulation. Speaking of that, wide circulation, that is, more and more of our publications are getting just that. We are seeing, for example, a gradual uptick in both ebook and hard copy book sales through Amazon.com. Furthermore, we are confident that making all of our titles available in digital format will contribute to broader circulation. At present, 15 of our books are available as ebooks, and rapid progress is being made on others. It should be noted that each new book we publish will be available in both ebook and hard copy format, and that customer feedback on these e-publications is very positive. This one from Singapore is typical. Quote, I especially appreciate your development of the ebook formats. Now those of us who cannot easily get our hands on physical copies of the book can still benefit from your publications, end quote. Wider circulation of the truth is also being accomplished through translation of our books into other languages. Our business manager's report on translations reveals that eight of our books are in various stages of the translation progress process. Currently, Brazilian Portuguese, Portuguese, German, Dutch, Korean, Afrikaans, Chinese, Filipino, and Croatian are the languages of choice. And four of those are translating Doctrine According to Godliness by Reverend R. Hankel. This fiscal year, the RFPA has published A Pilgrim's Manual by Professor H. Hankel, Behold the Beauty, Volume 2 by Connie Meyer, Battle of Sovereign Grace in the Covenant by Professor D. Engelsma, the Fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ by Reverend R. Schmidt, and Reformed Spirituality Series, Volume 3, All Glory to the Only Good God by Reverend Herman Hooksema. Also this year, in part due to numerous requests for them, two of our out-of-print publications, Voice of Our Fathers by Professor Homer Hooksema and Doctrine According to Godliness by Reverend R. Hankel are once again available. What about the future? We enthusiastically report our intent to publish 